0: Hi, welcome back to Multisite Masters. I'm your host, Rob Lydiard, CEO and co-founder of Yapster, the chat app for deskless teams in retail and hospitality organizations. Today, we're speaking to HR expert Jane Sunley, who's a best-selling business author and also the founder of Purple Cubed. Jane, welcome to Multisite Masters. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure, Rob.
0: So we're rapidly approaching the end of 2016. I know it's been a big year for for Purple Cubed. What, what what have been what have been the main highlights for you in terms of customer successes and turnarounds?
1: We we know it's very difficult to talk about people by name because our most most um, powerful successes are often people who don't want people to know that they've had the success through us, which is fine.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, so. We do spend our time making people look very good, which is fantastic, because that's what we want to do. We can't always talk about them, but we do deal with a lot of major brands um, in hospitality and outside, including people like Lexington Catering who win loads of awards for people stuff and Dorchester Collection. We've had a lot of successes with uh, businesses that you might not know, have known so much more about. For instance, uh, Valor Hospitality, who is a franchise brand for IHG. Uh, who ended up being the best place to work in hospitality this year. They won the Katie for that. So there are, there are lots of uh, brands that you might not know a lot about, but by just doing the sort of stuff we do get turned around quite significantly and it's very exciting.
0: Are, are most of the big wins um, emergency type situations? Are they turnarounds? I'm not suggesting the names you just mentioned required that, but the things, uh, that you're, the things you're most proud of, is it often going in and making a sort of surgical intervention?
1: Uh, often but not always so we've had a few we've got a few com- customers that we've had from start up so lexington i mentioned you know we were yeah. we're three guys in an office and or girls and guys in an office and now turn over 40 million and sell their business last year so you know we we've had a journey with them for maybe 14 years and then sometimes people want a quick intervention or they think they need a quick intervention and actually they need something a bit more um, substantial but you, you can do it in stages sometimes it's a turnaround sometimes it's people who really get this people stuff and want to do it better and, and say okay what's the next thing what's the next thing we can do because we love that because they're all switched onto it and they're halfway there already
0: and it does seem like the big trend in forward-thinking brands is to put people's strategy right at the heart of the business from pretty much pretty much day one is that is that a trend you're seeing more and more of?
1: Well, it just makes total sense. If you think most of us are in a service business and the only differential really is gonna be the people in the service because however beautiful your building is and however fantastic your food is or whatever else it is that you're offering, if the people aren't matched to that, it all kind of goes down the pan. So people must put it at the center of the business. And I think it's those uh, business leaders that go in and say, right, let's start with the people and go out from that that have the success the quickest I think if you're trying to do all the other things first without bringing the people on the journey, it's a bit like pushing tree clock hill, really.
0: <laughs> What's the? What would you say the quality of um, bench strength is in terms of HR leadership in the... Let's, I know you do international work, but let's just stick for the with the UK market for now. Is there? Is there... I mean, are, are HR leaders keeping up with their peers in other functional disciplines, would you say?
1: Well, if you look at all the stats, no. Um, and I would say some do, some don't, of course. And I think there are old school HR who are the people who, probably through no fault of their own whatsoever, end up doing kind of policy stuff and dealing with um, employee relations issues and endless recruiting and all of that kind of traditional, very transactional HR that, you know, people have been doing for about 20 years. And then the other school, uh, the people that I call 21st HRP, people, sorry, 21st century HR people, who are looking at strategy and business and are on the board and are moving the business forward and are talking business and in the business and understand the numbers and i think that's a very different breed of person
0: are, are, uh, are, and you can are more HR people wanting to sort of be formally appointed on boards and attend to i'm not sure that all of
1: them do and actually it doesn't really matter whether you're on the board or not as long as you've got a voice with the board so i don't think it matters some people, um, you know, I know people who have never been on the board and are fabulously successful, and other people who are on the board and aren't successful. So it doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. But I think if you've got a board at, seat at the table and you are an equal with the head of finance and, the, you know, the the marketing director and the sales director and, and everything else, it's got to be easier than trying to lobby the law from outside the boardroom, really.
0: It makes sense. And I guess, actually, that's what makes life interesting, isn't it? And, and actually, people strategy and people issues interesting, too. There isn't a one-size-fits-all type model that you can just apply liberally across the economy. Um, oh, you're
1: absolutely right. Well, and, let, let, and they're in life... Sorry, go on, just Because jo. people try to... Sorry, people try to apply things that they've either read somewhere... And I write books, so, you know, I like people to read things. You've got to do it and say, would this work for me? Not just apply it because it's written down. Or that they've seen somebody else do. And we're seeing more and more the emergence of the individual and brand individuality. And, you know, if people keep trying to just copy what everybody else does, it all goes horribly wrong and is a bit uninspiring. So you need people who are going to look at the business really hard and say, what are the actual needs of this business and how... And we get there as simply and as fast as possible. And, you know, it might take five years. It might take five months. It just depends on you and your business and what needs to be done. And I think they have to be more like that. We can't have people keep trotting out the same old stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And talking about writing and trends, I read a fascinating piece by you just recently on the predictions for HR in 2017. I'd love to talk to you about some of those ideas. And I, mean, I think the one you led with was uh, the continued rise of the gig economy. Do you think that's going to impact many Purple Cube customers?
1: I think it will impact everybody eventually, I mean, it's happening already, isn't it? There are a few businesses now that don't deal with some kind of freelancer or uh, you know, flexible worker or whatever it might be, and I think if you're not getting it right for the people who are with you all the time, it's even more hard to engage those people who are in and out you know, on a flexible or um, temporary basis or however it's going to work. And, you know, some people might not want to be engaged by a business. That's fine. They just might be there for the money and that's okay. But you need to find that out. But I would say unless everybody is trying to be a great place to work, you're not going to engage people who want to work for you permanently or people who want to come and do projects with you.
0: I suppose that's interesting, isn't it? If you have traditionally had, let's say, seasonal workers, but they've always been a minority, you've probably been able to feel relatively confident about your organisational culture based on the people that are there permanently i guess as it shifts and 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 the uh, the percentages change you could I, I guess some businesses could find themselves at some point pretty soon with a majority of flexible flexible workers and I, I do wonder how many brands will actually just assume their culture will survive that um changing uh, composition of the workforce it's, it's, i haven't really heard anyone talk about it in those terms but that's probably because i'm not as close to hr strategy and leadership circles as you are
1: I think it's just about people knowing that this is going to happen and thinking about it now because typically what happens is everybody's so busy firefighting, particularly in this very uncertain climate that we've got, you know, they're all kind of doing the short-termism bit and think, oh, I'll put that in the too difficult list and I'll think about it later. But actually these things will be upon us. So it's not about you know, sitting there for days and having a massive strategy. It's about going, look, this is going to come. What kind of things can we start doing? just to make sure that our culture stays strong or that our culture is very apparent. So for instance, people might look at um, employer branding. So, you know, how does the world see me as an employer? Because everybody puts masses of resource and time and effort into their customer-facing brand. But when it comes to employer brand, what does that mean? So you might say, well, do you know what? I'm gonna make sure everybody knows exactly what my employer brand stands for, what the deal is here, what people can expect. And you know, if that's all you do, well, then at least people know what they're going to get and you've got a bit more of a chance of keeping it pure if it's all stated and written and it's not just something that comes out of the ether.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. And I, I, I actually remember the um, another one of the trends that you mentioned was this idea of focusing on the employee experience. Um, yeah. Did you did, do you think that, that I mean, is that related to the first trend in terms of the gig economy um, or is it is that a distinct point from that?
1: Well, I think it's related, but I think you should be doing it anyway, uh, you know, because the employee, today's employee expects to have a great experience. That's the way it is in the olden days. People just kind of dealt with what they were given and what was thrown at them, and they sort of did it, and they were grateful for the job. And it's it's <laughs> kind of not like that. Attitudes have changed, which is brilliant because they should change. I mean, who wants to have an oppressed workforce?
0: Well, I, I, s- I saw I saw something hilarious on Twitter about uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe that there was some, there was a, I think there was a tennis match going on in Purple Cube HQ off Tottenham Court Road. Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> Oh, so you you were not the tweeter or a participant? Is this did this happen while you were while you were? Um, no,
1: we all participated. I'll have you know, but I won my round. I'll just have you know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, you know, I don't want people to think we all sit playing tennis all day. But you know, we have a um, a monthly birthday thing where you know th- there is going to be two or three birthdays in a month, so we have a bit of a celebration. And <laughs> each group of each team take it in uh, in turns to do the tennis match or not the tennis match to do the celebration and sometimes it's just a drink or sometimes it's you know whatever something else an activity and this time they decided they'd have a tennis match uh, a Wimbledon themed birthday event in November um, with strawberries and cream and um, fizzy drinks and a bit of tennis
0: I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. Uh, and I know I've mentioned this to you previously. I, I sent uh, an email some time ago to um, uh, to Joe Harley in, in, in Purple Cube and, and, and got an out of office saying I'm on annual leave. And um, and Purple Cube believes in uh, work life balance and, and, you know, treating each other the way we wish to be treated. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be back on this date, and I'd, I'd love to reconnect with you when I return. But I'm not going to be monitoring emails while I'm away. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, what other examples of well-being and flexibility do you, do you, do you think that forward-thinking employers should be thinking about, whereas perhaps they might not have previously? Because I'd actually never seen an out-of-office like that, and it's something I immediately well, before I, ripping off. Yeah,
1: before I answer that, um, the other side of that is that those emails don't even arrive into the inbox, because we had our tech guys set it up, and you can do it quite easily, apparently, um, set it up so that when that message is on, nothing arrives, so it all um, gets bounced back. So when you come back from holiday, there is nothing in your inbox, which is the biggest tree ever. Because you know it's like when you go on holiday and if you do think, oh, I have a few days off and I won't look at my phone much. And then you get back and you've got 500 in your inbox and you spend another week trying to get through them. So what happens with that email thing is you just don't get anything.
0: She's it's right. re- it's really good because I, I, I actually you're you're right. Um, you can come back and deal with the 500, but I think quite a lot of your most attentive people probably try and get a running start and actually end up shortening their holiday or having exactly. introducing stress exactly. at the end of the trip, thinking about what what awaits them. Um, yeah, exactly.
1: And and the, they don't have to do it. You know, if you do, if you want to go on holiday and do your emails, that's up to you. But it, it's just a, a choice because this is back to being the individual. You know, I've got some people in my business that would freak if they didn't look at their work e- e- emails and that would stress them out more than not having emails. So it is about personal choice. So to answer your question, I think there are lots of things you can do. Um, the important thing is to ask your people, you know, what would make this a better place to work? So um, I was mentioning to Sam yesterday actually, there was a, there was a case study a few years ago, um, Quick I've got an insurance um, call centre. And they got all of their people together and said, okay, go off and work out what would make this a great place to work. And the sort of things they came up with were things that the leadership would probably never have thought of, like um, having a concierge so that you know, if they had to make a phone call or make some arrangement or have something happen at a certain time when they were merrily working away in their call centre booths with their, you know, their headsets on and doing the other thing, that they could get someone just to do things for them that would save them a whole load of time and hassle. So another thing they thought of was that they would like to have some of their holiday days in two hour blocks. So instead of having to take a whole day off to go to the kids' nativity or the you know to the doctors or something, then take a two hour a block. And of course, you know, when they did this, their engagement scores and all the rest of it shot through the roof because they'd been asked, somebody had listened, they did it. It didn't cost them anything to do that particularly or a little bit. Um, so I think it's about asking them because I could reel off a whole load of things and there's loads of lists in my books of great things You could do for your people, but it's about find out what would really make the difference it's, it's, you know, People might hate playing tennis in the office you know, So don't do it. There, there are some companies that go bring your dog to work, you know, some people might hate to have a dog <laughs> in the work <laughs> you know, So it's not just about the fluffy stuff. It's not just about the free fruit and the gym membership and all those things It's about saying what would make a difference so you know, if your people are, if your banqueting waiters are stressed out to the ends of the earth because they haven't got enough teaspoons, then you might be, you know, engaging them by buying some teaspoons. You know, it's sometimes that simple. But find out.
0: It's so interesting. You use the word engagement there at the end. Um, everybody seems to be talking about employee engagement at the moment. What does it mean to you?
1: Well, it's quite interesting. We did a big, massive piece of research earlier on this year. Uh, and we asked a whole load of people and nobody really knows what it means or oh, there's about a million different definitions <laughs> So we defined it. I like tweet sized things because you can remember them can't you? Yeah, so uh, the right people doing the right things exceeding expectations enthusiastically That's, that's awesome. about just under a hundred characters and actually that's what employee engagement means you know, you've got to get the right people in the right place for your culture You've got to make sure they know what they're supposed to be doing and what a good job looks like. They've got to be willing and, and able to do it. And then they should be aiming to do better than the expectation. So that's it. The right people in the right, doing the right things, exceeding expectations enthusiastically. sort of says it, really. Um, and I think if people just got it down to that simple thing and said, right, how can we actually achieve that? What you're looking at really is the whole employee lifestyle cycle, you know, getting them in through all the things you do with them. And it all has to be joined up or employee engagement does not work.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because you talk about, you know, HR, HR as a business leader um, earlier in our our conversation. It does seem to me like um, stripping back what you mean by employee engagement to the essence of it like that I'm sure makes it easier for some of those other personality types that typically occupy the different functional disciplines I'm thinking of, sort yeah. of like trading directors operations directors finance directors I suspect they find it easier to see how that then connects with their own or the corporate objective and it's not something that can be part you know can be sort of um, parried away as soft and cuddly or not business focused or any other sort of um, cynical trite um, dismissal of people strategy and priorities you know, you're, where money's so
1: right. You're so right, Rob, because you know, as soon as you go employee engagement, everybody goes, Oh, really? You know, <laughs> so the HR person's job is probably not to even use that phrase, but is to explain the business case. Because, you know, we've got a whole load of case studies on our Purple Cube website about, you know, where people have done this stuff and it's hard business evidence, it's numbers, it's results, you know, it's it's scores, whatever it might be, not engagement scores but customer service scores or repeat business or spend per head and I think that's what the HR person has got to do. You say, look, there is a direct correlation and here's a load of evidence so this is why we need to do it. I think what tends to happen is people do a survey and go, oh, our engagement's this, let's get it up a few more points and honestly the measuring of it is, is not really the priority, it's the doing the things that actually make the difference.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. How, how confident do you think most HR leaders are using data? Because I recall that was another trend that you that you've signaled for next year.
1: Yeah, we had um, a business breakfast about this the other week. Actually, it's quite interesting that everybody's talking about analytics and everybody's talking about data and predictive analytics. So you know, data telling you what might happen, but also prescriptive analytics, which is data that tells you what to do. And I, my view on that is, you know. Stop sweating it. Don't worry about it. Say, what metrics do I need out of this business, and how can I easily get them? And that will mean you have to digitize something, because you're not going to sit there with a spreadsheet. Although, believe me, many people still are. Yeah, I bet. You really shouldn't. So, yeah, digitize, but get the information out that you want, rather than reams and reams and reams and reams of reports that actually you haven't even got time to think about. So, it's better to measure three or four or five things that are going to make an impact your business and these things will evolve over time and just look at that and you know it really worries me when people put in these massive systems that give them tons and tons of data because no one has the time to even read it.
0: Yeah I, I mean that absolutely makes makes sense, it's something that, that, that I see in my, in my business too. Um, do you, do you see any, do you detect any differences in competencies or natural sort of skills or interests for a new generation of leaders coming through, you know, the, the much maligned millennial class, for example?
1: I love the millennials. People do know about them. So, <laughs> know them so. But, you know, they are ambitious positive they don't think there's anything they can't do they can go and get every bit of information you know there's, there's nothing that they can't work out somehow <laughs> and I see it with my own children and I just love that because it's nobody's kind of dithering around and not wondering what to do and I'm not saying the other generations are ditherers but you know it sometimes takes other generations longer and then perhaps not as confident and I think it's great to have the confidence of youth. you know when people say oh they always want a promotion well brilliant good
0: that's yeah. great
1: you know you can manage that like, oh, but they don't want to go on my three-year management development program. Well, fine, let them do it at their own pace then. And if someone gets through in six months, then great. You know, we just need to be a bit more flexible, really. And I think the fact that they are digital natives and you know, some, of the, some of the other generations are not, it's got to help. It's got to help your business. That, if you that, just let them do what they're good at.
0: That, that's fascinating. That's a lovely point to, to end on. I just, I'd love to ask you do, you, do you feel like leadership development needs to be more? more flexible and what what are the failings that most organizations will have in their leadership development programs at the moment whether whichever generation of, of colleague um, They should be
1: looking to attend to I Think uh, failings are sheep dipping people into standard Programs without <laughs> finding out what they know, know what they don't know Yes, sheep dipping. They do they sheep you know I, I, I still go into businesses and they've got a book with all their training courses in that people go through <laughs> like, who wants to sit in a classroom, really, these right. days? I mean, you know, that's not how people learn. And, and there are occasions, don't get me wrong, there are occasions when you might want to get people in a room together. But don't just stand there and talk at them. And I call it chalk and talk. Don't chalk and talk at them. Say, right, okay, here's a business topic that we're going to look at. What do you know about it? How does it work for you in practice? What challenges do you get? So that if there's classroom type sessions, it should be facilitated in solving actual business problems and so that they can work out the solutions rather than some trainer going and then you do this and then you do that and then they you know there are some great motivational speakers and all the rest of it but you know it's not about telling anymore, it's about getting people to work it out for themselves because that's how they do it naturally. If they don't know, they go on YouTube, don't they? So get people to think. I think one thing millennials probably do need a bit of help with is really thinking deeply because they have a lot of access to lots and lots and lots of information. So there's a, a, a quite a, a superficial um, look sometimes at a lot of things. And sometimes it's about, no, let's stop and let's look deeply. So I think one is stop the dipping getting into all these courses and things. Um, two is, I think, look at all of these low-cost, no-cost ways of developing, like mentoring. So when I go and speak to big groups, I must say, put your hand up if you've got a mentoring program. I'm lucky if I get two people in a room of maybe 300 people. Oh, wow. Um, so, things like mentoring, things like shadowing, swaps, projects, there's all sorts of things you can do with people that make learning live in the business every day. And the only way you can make that work is to say to people, you are responsible for your own development. Here are all the things that you can access and all the tools, and here's a nice digital system that will allow you to track what you do and all the rest of it. Um, and f- and then go from there and get them to drive it because not everybody wants this stuff and you know you you soon see who your emerging real really talented people are because they're the ones who are you know eating up all the learning and progressing through all the stages and doing all the stuff so i think leadership development has to be like that and not just wait until you go on the next course on your program really
0: I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Jane, if listeners want to talk to you about some of these ideas in you know, on a one-to-one basis or in more detail, where's the best place that they can reach you?
1: Uh, they can tweet me at, at Jane Sunley or uh, I've got a Jane Sunley website or there is the Purple Cube website, which is the best one, really.
0: Brilliant. We'll, we'll put those details on the show notes. Thank you so much for investing the time chatting to us. It's been fascinating. I'm sure anybody that's been
1: here. It's been lovely.
0: Have a fantastic Christmas. And you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. See you again. Bye, Rob. Thanks once again to Jane Sunley, the founder of Purple Cube. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you have any feedback or would like to feature or suggest someone to feature on an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via the website multisitemasters.co.uk. That's m-u-l-t-i-s-i-t-e masters, all one word, .co.uk, where you can sign up for email updates and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at multisitemaster. That's it for now. I hope to see you back here soon when I'll be joined by my next multi-site master.